Chapter 5 The Upper and the Lower Springs He gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Joshua chapter 15 verse 19 Halfway between Hebron and Beersheba, there once stood the ancient city of Debir. It was the city of brains and books. It was the center of intellectual culture of the olden days. At the same point now may be seen a rude assemblage of stone hovels, many that are half standing and others that are entirely broken down. One of the names given to this city, being translated, means the city of books or of learning. What Athens was to Greece, the city of Debir was to southern Canaan. It was supposed that all the records of antiquity of the nation were stored there. It was indeed a famous place. Caleb, the son of Hezron, of the tribe of Judah, was very anxious to secure possession of the city. It is this fact that gives rise to the text. His name is very familiar to us. He was one of the twelve spies sent by Moses over into Canaan, and he and Joshua were the only two born in Egypt who were given the privilege of entering Canaan, with the possible exception of the Levites. And the reason was not only because they had brought a truthful report of the land they had explored, but also because they were willing to take God at His word and put all their trust in Him. Forty-five years later, when the wanderings were over, Caleb applied to Joshua for the share of the land that had been promised to him, and among other portions there was granted to him Debir, the city of learning. It was still, however, the stronghold of the giants of Canaan, and had to be captured in order to be possessed. Caleb then made the proposition that he would give his daughter Aksa in marriage to any man who was able to take the city. Othniel, who had been much of a warrior, for he had delivered the children of Israel from the king of Mesopotamia, marched against Debir. After a great struggle, the gates were broken down, the giants were captured or driven away, and the city of books lay at the feet of the conqueror. After the victory was won, Caleb was as good as his word, and his daughter was given in marriage to the soldier. He also gave a peculiar piece of property as an inheritance. It was known as the Southland and it was valuable for some reasons, but it was mountainous and sloped southward towards the deserts of Arabia, and the hot winds swept across it again and again. Before Aksa left her father's house, she asked him for his blessing. The Southland was not enough. She also desired springs of water. Caleb responded at once, and gave her more than she had asked, for we read in the text, he gave her the upper springs, and the lower springs. The land was chosen from an exceedingly fertile territory. It contained no fewer than fourteen springs. The valley was beautiful, and no matter which way you would look, you could see the springs gushing forth. Their presence in the field meant not only a blessing for the field in which they were found, but for all the country around them. I find in this beautiful story a good illustration of all that we receive from our Father. All that has been bestowed upon us is associated with victory, and that was won by him who was seen in the prophets as the conqueror, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. It was for him a fierce struggle, but he emerged as more than conqueror. Then, after that, he was called the bridegroom of the church, 
which is to be his bride, and with him we have received not only the gift of salvation, but in him we are also blessed with all spiritual blessings. Paul tells us this when he writes to the Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. God starts his children in this world as Caleb started his daughter, with an inheritance. No one is so poor that God has not given him something. Some people have taken the inheritance and treated it as the man with the five talents. They have gained five more. Matthew chapter 25 verse 20. Others have treated it as the man with the one talent and have wrapped it in a napkin. Luke chapter 19 verse 20. So they leave the world as poor as when they entered it. God has been very good to us. He has given us this world with all its beauty, its green pastures, its still waters, its rivers and its seas, and its starry canopy stretching out above. The world is filled with forces of all kinds, but man has seemed to gain control over them. Until today he stands like a conqueror in the midst of them all. But the inheritance is better than that. He has given us all the abilities of mind and all the powers of body, the mind, the heart, the hands, the feet. No one is sent into the world as a pauper. God has thus placed a fortune in the grasp of every child of His. It is such a great thing to have a mind, for with it we are able to search the deep things of God and really take hold of the thoughts of the Eternal. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 the science of geometry was worked out from a few simple principles by Euclid and Archimedes, by pure reasoning out of their minds, and on the sands of the floor of the room where they were studying, Archimedes traced the curves in which, according to science, the heavenly bodies must move. Long after, when the telescope was invented, the Galileos and the Newtons beheld with reverent wonder that the heavenly bodies were sweeping along in the same curves described so long ago by the great mathematician. It is indeed a wonderful thing to have a mind. But if these things that I have mentioned as our natural inheritance are all that we possess, then with the success that may be gained by means of them, we may still be of all people the most miserable. They are like the Southland of Aksa, they stretch off toward the deserts of sorrow and care and darkness, and the hot winds of despair come sweeping past them again and again. The most miserable people in the world, sooner or later, are those who have only the world and nothing else. Man is born for trouble, as sparks fly upward. Job chapter 5 verse 7. And this southland of the world is a poor portion. It is beautiful and it is the handiwork of God, but we must have more than that if the soul is to be satisfied. The stars are beautiful, but they pour no light into the midnight of a troubled soul. The flowers are sweet, but they pour no balm into the wounded heart. There are times when the hungry, thirsty, fevered soul must have what the natural inheritance cannot give, and God has made provision for that. Man sighs with groanings for the infinite that cannot be uttered. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. If you put a seashell to your ear, you will find in it reminiscences of its original home, the roar of the sea, 
the wail of the wind, and the groan of the dying wave are all discernible therein. It has the witness in itself that it belongs to the mighty deep, and if you listen attentively to your own heart, you will find constant testimony of its destined abode. The sighs, the yearnings, the dreams, the tears, the sadness, and the music all testify that we are made for God, and that only God can satisfy our needs and desires. God knew this, and so as well as giving us the Southland, He has also given us the springs of water from which we may drink and be satisfied. May God pity the person who has failed to accept the offered gift. The springs of water were given to Aksa because of her marriage with Othniel, and they are a perfect illustration of that which comes to us because of our union with the Son of God. The springs were a free gift, and so is the lower spring of the gospel which has come to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 No spring bursting from the plains of Gerar, or from the mountains of Lebanon, or from the valleys of Canaan, can perform such a mission as this lower spring of the gospel, which is the gift of our God. We have seen the fields in the time of a drought, looking parched and apparently dead and worthless, and then suddenly, almost overnight, the meadows were clothed with green, and the grain lifted up its head rejoicing, all because the rain had fallen. But in this lower spring of the gospel, there is a more marvelous power than that. He who comes to drink of its waters goes away with new life, and his whole nature is changed. The ancients believed in the existence of a spring in which, if a person bathed, he would renew his youth and live forever. We have found that spring today in the text, for the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The Bible is all a sparkle with wells and springs, rivers and seas. They toss up their brightness from almost every chapter, and water is many times the type or figure of that which enlivens, beautifies, and gives new life. Solomon, refreshed by the story of heaven, exclaimed, Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 25. Isaiah, speaking of the blessedness of the children of God, wrote, They will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 4. The prophet, glowing with the thought of the millennium, tells us that God says, I will even make rivers in the desert. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 19. The mission of water in this world is to bless and satisfy, to refresh and help. However, all the waters that ever leaped in the torrents, foamed in the cascade, fell in the summer shower, or hung in the morning dew, have given no such comfort to the troubled heart, no such rest and refreshment to the sin-sick soul, as that which may be drawn by you and me from the lower spring of the gospel. It is a good type or illustration of the gospel because of its brightness, yet here it fails to give us a perfect description or idea, for where can you find such brightness as gleams in this lower spring? David, unable to put it into words, plays it on his harp. Christopher Wren, unable to put it into language, springs it in the arches of St. Paul's.
Bunyan, failing to present it in ordinary story, put it in the form of allegory, which lives on today with constantly increasing power. Handel, with ordinary music unable to reach the height and sound, the depth of the theme, thrills us with his oratorio. Oh, the gladness, the brightness, the unutterable joy in that life that is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. And I may drink this in as I come to the lower springs. There is no life on earth so happy as the Christian's. Take the humblest child of God you know, and why shouldn't he be happy? According to the Bible, he is all the time under the shadow of God's wings. If he walks, the angels bear him up. If he sleeps, they let down ladders from the skies upon which the angels go up and down and to and fro, bringing down blessings of God and bearing away his heavy burdens. To just get within the door of the kingdom, to have a place, not the nearest, but even on the very outer circle, to bear the lowest title of all the redeemed, to be the weakest child of all the family of God, to be the dimmest jewel in his crown of rejoicing, to be the least, yea, less than the least of all the saints, is a hope that sets the heart rejoicing. All this I find, and more, a thousand times more, as I bend down and drink at the lower springs. Water is also like the gospel in its power to refresh. I think of the Jordan River the day when Naaman came to its banks with his leprosy. I see him going down into its waters once, twice, three times, and then on, until he had, according to the instructions of the servant of God, bathed seven times, and then, marvelous change, his flesh became as it were the flesh of a little child. But there is an even greater change for the sinful soul who will come to the lower spring. Here came John Newton, and he left behind him his sins, which were as scarlet. Here came John Bunyan, cursing with every step until even wicked people rebuked him, and he went away so changed that he gave to the world the book Pilgrim's Progress, that stands in the estimation of some next to the Bible for sweetness and power. Here came Mary Magdalene, the Philippian jailer, Zacchaeus, and the poor trembling thief on the cross, and they all drank of the waters and stand today in the company of the redeemed. I stand by the side of the waters today, and with all the tenderness of a saved sinner, with all the assurance of a pardoned child of God, and with all the alarm of a friend who sees his friends and neighbors going down to death, away from the living waters, I plead with you to come. 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 Let the one who hears say come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 It is a marvelous spring of which I speak. I recall the fact that when the master met the man who was blind from his birth, he anointed his eyes with clay and saliva and then told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And after he had washed, he returned, seeing. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. I imagine that first of all, he saw the face of the master himself. This is the power of the lower spring of the gospel. The touch of its waters will cause the scales to drop from our eyes, and we will be able to see the wondrous things written in the book of God. More than that, 
we will have the vision of the face of the Master Himself given unto us. It is not strange that in our sinful condition we are unable to see things as they are in the kingdom of God, for we are blind. But if you will only come with your blindness to the lower spring, you will go away rejoicing. It is like the pool of Bethesda. It has healing power, and we are not only saved from the guilt of sin, but we may also be saved from its power. The only difference is that in the pool, the sick people must wait until the waters are stirred before they may step in and be healed, while in this lower spring, the waters are always ready. This is not a new idea to represent the gospel of Christ, for I read in the gospel of John these words, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. John chapter 4 verse 14. And these words are found in the book of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Revelation chapter 21 verse 6. O thirsty souls, come and drink. I know what springs of water have done for the world. Found in Gerar by Isaac, they make the field fruitful in abundance. Genesis chapter 26 verse 22. Bursting forth in Lebanon, they send their waters down the mountainside, and as they go through the valley they make it the very synonym of fruitfulness. Closely related to that is what the lower spring of the gospel does for us. No one knows the fullness of his own being until he is filled with the influence and power of the gospel. If you walk in the month of January over the most fertile place in a field or through the forest, you will see the illustration of what man is in his natural state. The earth is full of roots and the trees are full of buds, all of which are closely bandaged so that they cannot expand. But when the springtime comes, the roots in the earth begin to push upward and the buds on the trees begin to unfold, and in a very little time, all nature is rejoicing. What a marvelous change, simply because the roots have been warmed by the sun and kissed by the light. Yet it is not worthy to be compared with a change that might be worked in you if you will only come to the lower spring and drink of its life-giving waters, for there you will meet him who has said, I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. John chapter 10 verse 10. I wish I would be able to make plain to you all that there is so much more to the Christian life than simply being saved. That is only the beginning. The whole experience increases from that point and gets brighter and brighter as the days go by. With the hope that we might learn the lesson together, I have brought before you these two springs. Whether the strict exegesis of the text will allow the interpretation or not, I am very sure that all will agree that it is a perfect illustration. To drink at the lower spring is salvation, but to drink at the upper spring is a high privilege that is offered to every child of God. I could bring so many passages of Scripture to you that would serve as an illustration of what I mean. Take Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Consider Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. 
buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Notice Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Read Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish we would all drink at the upper spring. What peace would then fill our hearts! When we drink at the lower spring, we come to be at peace with God, but when we learn to drink also at the upper spring, we have the peace of God, and there is a great difference between the two. It is something like the difference between a microscope and a telescope. With the first, we can see things near, and in a space not larger than a grain of sand, I can find a thousand million tiny organisms. But with the latter, I can see things that are far away. I can actually study the Milky Way, which is thousands and thousands of miles away. At the lower spring, first of all, I see myself and all my sinfulness. Then I see Christ in all his righteousness. Then I hear him say that although my sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And there at the lower spring I am made whole. However, with the upper spring it is different. Like the telescope, it is all about the things that are above. As I drink at its waters, I find myself being lifted above this world, and not only my conversation, but my very life may be in the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. What an influence for good such a power might have over us. On the English seacoast, there is a certain fountain that is within the tide mark. Twice each day the tide spreads over it, and the pure, sweet waters are defiled and spoiled by the bitter wave. But the tide goes down and the fountain washes itself clear from the defilement. This is the emblem of a life that is in daily contact with the world and its defilement. Again and again it is touched by the evil one, but I bring you the cure today. Live close to the upper spring, and in the midst of even the most difficult trials, great peace will fill your soul. What an influence we could have over others if we were thus taking advantage of our privileges. I think that someone could be a Christian, that is, just simply be saved, and not have much of a positive influence over the world around him, but it would not be possible to live in close communion with Christ, which is only another way of speaking of the upper spring, without having the greatest possible influence for good overall with whom he might come into contact. Travelers tell us about the rain tree. It grows to be about sixty feet high, and has a diameter of about three feet at the root. It has an uncommon quality. It absorbs and condenses moisture from the atmosphere as no other tree does, and so it is called the rain tree. Generally, its bark is dripping wet, not only in the damp season but also in the midst of summer when the rivers run low and the nearby brooks run nearly dry. Then it breathes in the moisture. This is a picture for us all. I am very sure that if we only knew the lesson of the upper spring, 
we can live in the very midst of desolation and despair and say with Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. The way to this upper spring is pointed out very plainly to us. I remember the dream of Jacob as he was going from Beersheba to Haran. It was about the ladder that was set upon earth, the top of which reached up to heaven. Genesis chapter 28. This ladder is set up for us. It reaches to the very brink of the upper spring. The ladder is Christ. His feet rest upon the earth. His brow is bound with the glory of heaven. The events of his earthly life are the earthward end of the ladder. His divinity, his finished messiahship, and his perpetual priesthood are the topmost end. In a distant city, a fire was raging. It was thought that all the inhabitants of the building had been saved when, to the horror of the bystanders, two children were seen standing at a third-story window. It was before the days of the almost perfect instruments for saving lives. Two ladders were hurriedly spliced together and lifted to the side of the building. There was a shout of terror when it was found that the ladder was six feet too short to reach the children. In a moment, a brave fireman was climbing the ladder. He reached the topmost rung and then stood for a moment balancing himself. He caught the windowsill with his hand, and then the children came slowly down over his body, which supplied the gap between the ladder and the window, until outstretched hands reached them in safety. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and for me. There was no way for us back to heaven. We were alienated from God. Then he came in his incarnation, and on the platform erected by the patriarchal, legal, and prophetic dispensation, he stood, as it were, in his own body, reaching up his hands. He took hold of God, and the way was made complete. So it has come to pass that not only in Christ are we saved, but it is also true that by him we mount into the very secret place of the Most High, and this is drinking at the upper spring. Thus the secret of this great blessing is to be found by abiding in Christ. Dr. Gordon used to tell about a little circumstance that he noticed in New England which presents to us a figure of it all. Two little saplings grew side by side. Through the action of the wind, they crossed each other. In time, the bark of each became wounded and the sap began to mingle until they became united to each other. This process went on more and more until they were firmly compacted. Then the stronger began to absorb the life from the weaker. It grew stronger while the other grew weaker and weaker, until finally it dropped away and then disappeared. Now there are two trunks at the bottom and only one at the top. Death has taken away the one, but life has triumphed in the other. There was a time when you and Jesus Christ met. The wounds of your repentant heart began to knit up with the wounds of his broken heart, and you were thus united to Christ. How is it now? Has the old life been growing less and less? Has he been increasing, and have you been decreasing? If so, you have learned the lesson of the upper spring, and you are blessed. This is what Paul had learned when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. 
and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. As you bend down to drink at the upper spring, you see in the water a reflection of a face. At first it seems not to be your own. You look again and realize that it is, but it has been changed, so wondrously changed. Do you know the secret? It is Christ shining forth in you, and so for you to live has become not only to act like Christ and to speak like Christ, but actually to look like Him. This is not strange, for nothing is more common than to notice the influence that a person of commanding talent or position exerts upon others. Alexander the Great always had a copy of Homer's writings under his pillow. Caesar, seeing a statue of Alexander, was energized with an ambition he had never known before. If these things are true, what must be the transforming power of the constant contemplation of the life of the Son of God? The very dirt beneath the rose bush absorbs a perfume. You cannot walk through an orange grove without carrying away with you some of the fragrance. In the same way, you could not think much about Christ without living above this world and its many trials. A number of travelers were making their way across the desert. The last drop of water had been exhausted, and they were pushing on with the hope that more might be found. They were growing weaker and weaker. As a last resort, they divided their men into companies and sent them on, one in advance of the other, in this way securing a rest they so much needed. If they who were in the advanced guard were able to find the springs, they were to shout the good tidings to the men who were nearest to them, and so they were to send the message along. The long line reached far across the desert. They were fainting by the way, when suddenly everyone was cheered by the good news. The leader of the first company had found the springs of water. He stood at the head of his men shouting until the farthest men had heard his cry, Water! Water! The word went from mouth to mouth until the whole company of men heard the sound, quickened their pace, and were soon drinking to their heart's content. I have found the water of life. It is flowing fully and freely, so I stand and cry, Water! Water! Take up the cry, everyone, until every thirsty soul will drink and live. I have found another blessing, too. It is that of a sweet communion with the Lord. It is that of the closest fellowship with Him. It is at the brink of the upper spring. Will you not come? The head of the springs, both the upper and the lower, is found at the throne of God. For that reason, I call you all to come and take of the waters freely. Scripture The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. On the principle that water always seeks its own level, since this water comes from the throne, it will go back again, and it will carry us into his very presence. To know him is life everlasting, and to see him is joy without end.